welcome to another inspirational message from Liberty Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah? Doing good? Okay, even though it's rainy? How many of you are happy that at least spring has come? Yes. I know you are, Mr. Ralph. He's excited spring has come. <clears throat> Listen, we, we began a series a few weeks ago on mental health called Are You Okay? And last week, I just want to tell you, wow, do we have a good pastor in Pastor Brandon. Don't you agree? Wasn't that message so powerful, transparent, amazing, amazing? We're going to continue the talk today, and I know... Um, for a lot of people, if you haven't been a part of this series yet, you're like, mental health, what is the church going to say about that? Because we all know what the world says about it, but what does God have to say about it? So we're going to dive into that today. You know, the truth is that all around us, there are people, coworkers, friends, neighbors, family that are hiding a veil of darkness, and they're too embarrassed to talk about it. And why are they embarrassed? Because oftentimes they're met with judgment. Hello? Oftentimes they're met with judgment. And people that don't understand. And so it becomes something that they hide this veil of darkness inside because they don't want to be judged. And it's so easy people say, like, snap out of it. Well, why are you sad? Snap out of it. Snap out of it. Anybody had somebody tell you that before? Did it make you better? No. You can't tell someone just to snap out of it. You got to meet them where they're at, help them, go into the trenches with them, pull them out, show them the light. Because the truth is that darkness is not an entity of itself. Darkness exists because of an absence of light. So there is literally no darkness that is so dark that when light comes, it doesn't break it. So no matter where you're at today, if you feel like you're in the darkest place of your life, I want to tell you, light can come, light can break it, and you can be healed. You can be cured. You don't have to live with it forever. You know, I listened to a parent tell their teenager the other day, their teenager was saying how anxious they were. The parent said, you have nothing to be anxious about. You don't understand real problems. Wait till you are a grown-up. And I wanted to say, I didn't, I was, you know, controlled, but I wanted to go, I mean, excuse me, if they say they're anxious, then there's something to be anxious about. If they're having anxiety, don't, don't brush it off like it's no big deal. Because if they don't learn how to deal with it in their teenage years, they won't be able to deal with it as an adult. And you're telling them they have nothing to be anxious about as a teenager. Go back to high school yourself and tell me if there's not things to be anxious about. Come on, we can't judge people because we assume they're not on the same level as us. We've got to deal with the problem as if it's a problem. So many people don't look at mental illness as an illness. They think people chose it or they're just, you know, lazy. 
that's not it. We would never look at somebody with cancer and say, snap out of it. You're being lazy. You would never dream of saying that to somebody. So how come we treat mental illness as if it's someone's choice for what they're going through? We've got to look at it as something that is an illness, but it's an illness that Jesus sent healing for. Let's show them what the healing is. Let's show them what God says about it, what they can do. There's a statistic that 60 million Americans will live with mental illness this year. 60 million. 60 million. So it's imperative that the church steps into this arena. Most say it's not a really an issue or that's not an issue in the church. Nobody in the church has issues with mental illness. And we close our eyes to it like if we don't look for it, it's not there. But let me tell you, Every single person in this room at a time in their life felt depressed because life has ups and it has downs. And if you don't learn how to deal with that, it can catch you in a whirlwind. But we can't be so holy as to think that it would never happen to us. We have to get what the Bible says about this in our minds, in our hearts, so that we can help people, so that we can see it when it comes. It can't just be something that you say, well, it's nobody that I know, or nobody in my church, nobody in my family would have to deal with that. But what if it was your kid? What are you going to do when you've closed your eye to it and then your, your child is having issues? What are you going to do? We have to look at this and see what God says about it. The truth is that all of us, whether we're aware of it or we're not, we all have a friend, a coworker, a family member that is struggling with mental illness. They're struggling with panic attacks, anxiety, stress, PTSD. They're struggling. And so many keep it hidden. And we think because we can't see the disease that it doesn't exist. But when you go up to somebody, can you see the cancer in their body? No. But you know that it's there. So many with, even with like autoimmune diseases, people, if they can't, if you don't look sick, they assume you're not. But mental illness is something that is so deep inside that most people never show it. And they put on a front that they're okay. So we have to look for signs. Go with me if you have your Bible to the book of Matthew. I, was, I had this thought, and I was like, Mercedes, how should I respond to this as a Christian, as a child of God? And then a greater thought happened to me, and I was like, how should the church respond to this? What should the church do? Matthew 5, we'll start in verse 13, says, you are, who's the you? Us. So he's talking to us, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, who's you? Yes, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it 
on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So this is what God is asking us to do, to be the light, to be the light, to be the light. And I love how it says that you turn the light on in your house and everyone in your house then gets the light. Isn't that amazing? It's not just you. Those that are connected to you when you turn the light on, the light goes on for them too. So he says we are to be the light. The light in that darkness. Mental illness is a darkness. It feels like a darkness. And it's almost like a cloud that you cannot find your way through to find light. So we get to come and we get to bring the light. We get to go turn on the switch. We get to show them where the power is. That is what God is asking us to do. Darkness exists because of the absence of light. So we bring the light. Are you with me today? I was also reminded that you and I, we have a gospel here. How many of you have your Bible today? That 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 is lying in your lap or in your hand, that you have a gospel that when understood, when believed, when received by the human heart, it produces peace in lives. It produces it. In other words, it can grow peace in a person's life. A person with no peace whatsoever can get a hold of the gospel and peace activates in their life. Amazing. A book. The book you're holding in your hand is not just a book. It is peace that you can give to someone in their life. It's important that we look at it that way. Galatians 5.1 says that the gospel can produce freedom. So not just peace do we get. We get freedom with his word. Galatians 5.1 and 1 Peter 2.24 says that Jesus bore our sins on the cross, that through his sacrifice we are healed. We are healed. So not only can we get peace, not only can we get freedom, but we can get healing by that book that's in your lap. By believing it, it activates it, and you begin to see these things in your life. Go with me to Matthew 22. This is a gospel so that we can step into the world and be a blessing to somebody else. It says in verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. So we're commanded to love the people around us. I talked about this verse in depth a couple, I think it was like a month or two ago, but I'm not gonna go there with it today. Did you know that the Bible says to enlarge your house in Isaiah? He says, enlarge your house. Enlarge your house. That means it's no longer just about me. I need to enlarge my house. It says to make space. It says to spare no expense and open the doors to your home. 
We are to do that with people around us. We're to enlarge our house. We're to bring people in our circle. We're to bring people the peace that we've received, the healing that we've received. We're to enlarge, enlarge our house. First John says, chapter three, verse 18, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So he challenges us to not just love and shake our heads to it. We're like, love, sure, I agree with it, but to actually act upon it. Come on, I, I didn't know Colin loved me because he said it. I knew he loved me because he showed me, because he acted upon it. Now, it was great to hear him say that he loved me, but I already knew based on his actions. So love causes us to act. So it can't be something that we just speak. It has to be something and forever that we do. The reality is love is when people can see it in action. Because you can tell someone all day long, I love you. But if you haven't shown it, come on, you've had someone do that to you in passing. They're like, love you, and they don't really mean it. Do they ever show up in your life? It's important that we act upon it. And here, not even 80 years into the church, John was addressing a problem that had begun. And it occurs in the church today. Love has been something we hear. It's been something we read about. It's been something that we watch Hallmark movies to. It's been something that we listen to music about. It's something we mentally agree to when in fact it's one of the greatest powers that God has given us because God is love. And where you see love being put in action, you find the presence of God because he is love. He is love. It doesn't say he, he, he just speaks love. He himself is it. Every action is backed up by love, your heavenly father. And he says it's not enough to love in word, but we must love in action. I was also reminded in Genesis 12, where the covenant as a children, as child of God, we have a covenant that means we're blessed to be a blessing. I loved this verse as a kid, and I had no idea what it meant, but I just thought it was cool because it was talking about all the nations you'd have and everything. I'm like, wow, I'm going to be a queen. You guys don't even know. This verse over here says it. I remember thinking, wow, nations. I'm blessed to be a blessing, and everybody I come in contact with is going to be a blessing. And I had this big vision of it as a child of what that meant. And then I got older, and my vision went, Phew. I had it opposite. My vision should have kept getting bigger. Blessed to be a blessing. I, I think a lot of us think we're dreaming too big when we think of what our life could really be, of how happy we could really be, of how fulfilled, of how successful we could really be. We think that it's unattainable, so we just stop. And we're like, I guess I'm okay with living paycheck to paycheck. I'm, I guess I'm okay with with this, I, I mean, I guess, but where's your sense of dream? See, when you're dealing with the veil of darkness, it puts a veil over your dreams and you're unable to see the big picture. 
you're unable to see the big picture. So we have to step into someone's life and show them the big picture, what it could be, what it could be, what it could be. And when I read this in Genesis, it wasn't just that we were blessed to be a blessing, but it made me think, Mercedes, this really isn't all about you. It's really not all about me. And if I could charge you, I would say, it's really not all about you. And parents, it's really not all about your kids. And kids, it's really not all about you. Teenagers, it's not all about you. There's a much bigger picture. A much bigger picture. And some of us get so closed-minded and think it's all about me, how I'm feeling in this moment, what I, what I have, what I, and we just continue to look at our situation only. And if we would lift our heads for a moment, we would realize it's not all about us. That there's a certain life that God has for us and it's not just all about us. That that life that God has for us is supposed to produce fruit in other people. We're blessed, yes, and a lot of us just stop there, I'm blessed. And it's good enough that you're just blessed. But he says you're blessed to be a blessing, which means he empowers you to empower. And we have to look at it like that. We need to tell our children, it's really not all about you. Well, my nephews, when they were just little, they had all their toys, and they, my brother and my sister-in-law decided to tell them, we're going to give some of this away. And if you want new toys, you're going to get rid of some old ones. And I watched my nephews have this dawn on them in that moment, that it wasn't all about them. I mean, you could see it on their faces. You could see it. Come on, you've, you've been with kids before. Mine, that's mine. I was not allowed to say that in my house. It was, no, I paid for it, it's mine. You can borrow it. <laughs> we have this, that's mine, that's mine. But I watched my nephews, this change on their face as they realized it's not all about me. There are other kids in the world there are kids that don't have toys. Oh my gosh. And my nephews started to put all their toys, want to get rid of all of them because their heart grew in a moment where they saw the bigger picture. We've got to be willing to see the bigger picture, to show the bigger picture. Studies show that signs alone don't necessarily mean mental illness in a person's life. Because everyone's different. So everyone has different reactions. And sometimes life just goes up and sometimes it goes down. Ever had a day that was fantastic? I mean, beautiful, sunny, things were going your way. Your food was just right. Your coffee was just the way you like it. And then ever had a day where you're like, I'd rather not repeat it. I'd be okay if that just never happened again. Anybody else had a day like that? 
come on, you, you wake up, you start dropping things, things break, and then you're like, what on earth? And then it just seems like that happens the rest of the day, doesn't it? Ever had a day like that where you're like, I just, um, I'd rather not repeat that. So we've all had good days and bad days. And sometimes in our bad days, these symptoms come. And it doesn't necessarily mean, well, I, I, oh my gosh, I need to, I've got mental illness. No, it just means you had a really sucky day. Go get in your word and figure it out. But then with people that are really struggling, we have to give them the tools to help. So are you ready for it? For instance, I've made a decision in my life that I'm not going to assume I will not assume someone is okay. I will not ignore it, I will ask. If I see a sign, I've made a conscious decision that when I see one of these signs, I ask the question, are you okay? Are you okay? And I've made that, that decision that I won't ignore it. Not that I ever did, but I'm gonna be more conscious about it. I'm not gonna ignore it, I'm not gonna act like like it's not there. I'm not gonna assume that they're taking care of it. I'm gonna ask the question. I'm gonna ask, are you okay? So here's some of the signs they say to look for in a combination of these changes in a person's life. And these are all given by a therapist. And it's a therapist, it's a great friend of the Neiman family. How many of you know the Neimans? We love them, we love Abundant. And so, um, I'm gonna give you some of the signs that this therapist says to look for. Number one, constant or chronic pain. Constant or chronic pain. You begin to see eating habits change in their life. Either they eat in excess or they eat nothing or they really back it down. That's something to realize, hey, I need to ask the question, are you okay? Your eating's changed. And you should ask it, even if they were just going on a diet. You need to ask, you okay? Are you okay? Number two, irritability. Irritability. Number three, excessive sleep or lack of sleep. This is a huge one because we're in a country that almost prides itself on how little sleep we get. And that's not something to be proud of. It's something to get help for. I've had someone say, I, I just need three or four hours a night. No, you don't. Your body needs more, your brain needs more. And if you're not sleeping, it's something you need to go seek help for. I've, I've sought help for it in my life. There's no shame in that. It is how you can perform at your best. It's so your brain has enough to work. When I talked to someone, they were falling asleep at traffic lights. And they said, I get three to four hours of sleep. That's enough for me. I said, it is not. You're falling asleep at traffic lights. Three to four hours is not doing the trick. You got to ask the question, are you okay? They went to the doctor. They got what they needed and they're sleeping. But I had to ask, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? We need to ask that question. Number four, anger. Anger. 
It like is a switch that just turns on. They're immediately angry. Number five, forgetful or lax focus. Now, a lot of us are like, yeesh, I forget things a lot. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking like going into a room, can't remember why you're there. They become forgetful. They lack focus. They're not able to really focus on anything. Their work suffers because they can't focus. Six, suicidal thoughts. This is a big one. People will put those thoughts in a joke, and you need to listen for it. Because some people will say it, and some people, they won't tell you if they're having suicidal thoughts. They'll joke about suicidal thoughts, and you need to ask the question, are you okay? Are you okay? Number seven, they become unemotional. Unemotional. Number eight, lack of attention to personal hygiene. They become unemotional. They stop caring. They stop caring. Number nine, socially withdrawn. They won't go out, won't go to dinner. They isolate themselves. They push you back. They push other people away. When you see signs of that, you need to ask the question, are you okay? Number 10, drug or alcohol abuse in their life. Brothers and sisters, we got to look out for each other. We've got to look out for each other. The church has made this in something to judge, and we need to go up and say, are you okay? Are you okay? We don't need to whisper about them. We need to ask the question, are you okay? And if you're struggling with that today, there is help for you. There is help for you. We need to ask, are you okay? Now, here are four things you can do if you think something's going on. Are you ready for it? No? One person? Anybody else ready for it? Anybody else want to know what to do? Number one, you got to ask. Ask what? Ask how they are. Ask if they're okay. Don't be weird about it. Just be like, hey, I noticed you seem kind of different today. Are you all right? What's going on? You okay? Don't be embarrassed. Don't assume that they're okay. Don't assume that they are all right. Ask them. Ask them. Matthew 7 says, Jesus says we are to ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. And I think a lot of us have read this verse, and I used to read this verse, and I thought that it was only talking about personal prayer. That I was supposed to be ask and keep on asking God. Seek and keep on seeking. But that's not all that it means. When somebody's going through something, especially with mental health, you need to ask and keep on asking. You need to seek and keep on seeking. You need to knock and keep on knocking. It's not a one-time conversation. You've got to ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. This is what Jesus tells us to do. I believe when it comes to people around us, we need to keep on asking. I don't have to be a trained therapist to do that. You don't have to be a trained therapist to ask someone, are you okay? What's up? See a difference in you. You don't have to be a trained therapist to have this conversation. To ask your friend or your coworker or your, or your friend or your mom or your sister, hey, are you okay? All through Jesus' life, we see him going from place to place. 
And on his journey, he will see someone that is showing a sign of something. And he will stop and ask what he can do for them. He went from place to place asking, and he kept on asking. He went from place to place knocking and continuing to knock. He went on from place to place seeking and continuing to seek. We, we are supposed to imitate Jesus, and I know for a lot of people that's so um, intimidating because you're like, I could never be Jesus. I couldn't either, but it doesn't say be him. It says imitate. Live like him. What did he do? He asked and he kept on asking. He knocked and he kept on knocking. He, he was seeking and he kept on seeking. We need to imitate Jesus. Number two, once you ask the question, this is so huge, listen. Listen. James 1.19 says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, so he's writing to us, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. See, these are good principles in a home, but it goes beyond that. Let's be swift to hear. Swift means prompt, ready. And if you ask a person, are they okay, you need to listen and listen well. You need to listen and listen well. Pay attention. Don't be distracted. Put your phone down. Give them eye contact. Let them know that you care. I know when I just said to put your phone down, a lot of you just broke through your deodorant just then. You're like, my phone, put it down. I can't. Not, I, this is how, what if someone needs me? There's someone sitting across from you that needs you. Put it down. Don't be distracted. Give them your full attention. It's amazing how distracted we are in life and how many people we pass by because we're looking at this. There are people in grocery stores. There are people in your workplace, people in your neighborhood, that if you'd get off your phone for a minute, you would see them. We see opportunity when we look for opportunity. Hmm? Any successful person will tell you, you can read any book and they'll say, I was seeking opportunity. They had their eyes open for it. They had their eyes open for it. You know, even some in church, this, this is crazy to me, because in church, I'll see people on their phones, and they think that I think they're taking notes, but I can look down on you, so I can see you scrolling, and the light co changing colors on your face. So you're not, I'm not stupid, you're not, you're not, I can tell when someone's taking a note and when someone's not. But this is what baffles my mind. You had to wake up early, Maybe drink multiple espressos. Get your kids in clothes that matched. Swerve away from the potholes on your way here. Hello. And you come to church. It was work to get here. And you come to church and you're here for like an hour and a half. And you're on your phone. I'm like, what a waste. 
You did all that work, you got up early, you didn't even get to push the snooze on your alarm, you had to drink so many cups of coffee, your kids freaked out this morning, you dodged the potholes, felt like you were in a video game on the way here, and now you're on your phone. Is what your sister had for breakfast more important than your future? Doubtful. You can see what she ate after service. But this is our culture. This is our culture. It's just this. So we're missing people that need help. We're missing it. And if we would learn to put this down for a moment, we would see the opportunity because we're looking for the opportunity. Our heads are up, our eyes are open. I have people say, I've been going to church for six months and I'm just not getting anything. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm not surprised. You were on your phone every service. You didn't hear anything we said. Hmm? Everybody's like, put your phone down. <laughs> you can take notes, it's fine. Just saying, when you go to ask someone if they're okay, don't be distracted. Be ready to have the conversation. It says be not only ready, but have the tools that you're going to need to help. That's why we provided these awesome booklets for you. If you haven't got one, grab one after service. But we're like, let's give them some tools to help. To help. So many people don't know that people around them are hurting because we never look up long enough to see it. We have to look up, we have to ask the question, and we have to listen well. Let's not be distracted. Researchers show if you listen well, that someone dealing with this, they will tell you what's bothering them in some form. It will come out. It, research shows that if somebody feels they're being truly listened to, they will tell you. So if you're like, I've asked this person like five times, and they just keep saying, yeah, I'm fine. Are you listening well? Are you listening well? And if you listen well, you're, you'll hear it in the jokes they make, in their sarcasm. You'll hear it in the words they say. It will come out. You need to just listen for it. I, I talk to people all the time and sometimes don't even get 20 words in. And at the end, they'll say, thank you so much. That helped me. That helped me a lot. And I'm like, I didn't even give you any advice. I just listened well. And some people just need someone to listen and listen well. We're surrounded by people who are living lives of quiet desperation. We've got to look for it. And we've got to find it. And we've got to ask the questions and listen well. I mean, what would it mean to someone if you just sat there and looked in their eyes and showed compassion? We can do that. You can do that. Number three, once you've listened, be a voice of hope and action in their life. Tell them, I want to help you. And offer them suggestions. Offer them some resources. I want to help you. 
Encourage them to not isolate. Say, I'd like to bring you to small group. You're like, Mercedes, I don't go to small group. Well, start. Bring them. I'll pick you up for church. Come on, when somebody is really dealing with this, it's almost really very slim that they want to leave their house. And so make it as easy as possible for them. I'll pick you up. I'll grab a coffee on the way. Make it so easy they can't say no. Get them in community. Help them find a therapist. Don't just say, you need to get a therapist. Help them find ones. Have looked at these. These are some really great people, I think. Here's some women ones. Here's some men ones. Whatever you're more comfortable with. But these are great people I really, I looked into, and I think one of these would help you. Let's find one together. Help them see a pastor. Get pastoral counseling. Bring them. Take them. If they want, sit with them so they don't feel like they're by themselves. Do what makes them comfortable. Tell them God wants you well. So many people believe that it is God that caused what they're dealing with. And they need to know that God wants them well. That God did not cause it. And God has hope, healing, and cure for them. We need to let them know that God wants them well. Most people, they, they haven't even factored God into the equation that are dealing with this. It's so isolating, and you turn the, the, the picture so on you that you're not even thinking of, of God in the situation. Help them. Show them something greater than what they're dealing with at the moment. There's something greater, and he wants you to be well. He wants you to be well. Be a voice of hope. Hope means positive expectation. This is so important. You need to give them something positive to expect. Something to look forward to. I know you'll talk about the pain or what they're dealing with at that moment, but you need to give them something to look forward to. Something good to expect. Some hope, a positive expectation. Not a voice of condemnation, but tell them you can get better. And I want to help. You don't have to do it alone. I want to walk through this with you. You can get better. In 1 Samuel 17, I don't have time to read the whole story, so I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Read it when you get home. David is with his men. How many of you know this story? If you don't, it's okay. I'm going to tell you. David's with his men in Ziklag, and they left the town to do good. They were going to go help people. They left the town to do good. And while they were gone doing good, the enemy attacked their homes. When they came back, they found the Amalekites had come to Ziklag. And they had taken their wives. They had taken their children and all of their possessions, and they had burned their homes. They went to do good. And they come back to see that everything in their life was, was completely completely gone. That's a sucky day. That's not a, I dropped a jar and it broke and then I, you know, tripped on my way out. That's a, that's a sucky day. The Bible says that David and his men wept until they had no more power to weep. Has anybody ever been there before? I mean, you wept until you had no more tears left to weep. And it says that David and his men, they wept until they had no more power 
to weep. And the Bible says that at that moment that David and the nation of Israel came to a crossroads. Came to a crossroads. They came to this giant pothole, okay? Let's bring it to Nebraska. And they're like, do we go to the left or the right of it? Not sure. They came to a major crossroads. And it says that David's men grew this way. They grew bitter and picked up stones to stone him to death. So they went over here to the right side. His men, after they wept, it's okay to weep, but after they wept, bitterness set in. It's important what you do after you cry. It's important who you talk to, who you're with when you're in that moment because bitterness set into these men. They wept till they had no more tears to cry and then grief turned into bitterness. And it says, but David. David took the other fork in the road. He went on the left side of the pothole. And he said, you guys know this story? He decided to praise. And in a moment, what could have turned into bitterness in him didn't. It says that, but David. I can go the bitter route or I can go this way. It says, David encouraged himself in the Lord, in Yahweh, in Redeemer, Deliverer, Savior. He encouraged himself. That word encourage means he fastened himself to the Redeemer. See, when we help people, we got to tell them, go to church. Don't run away from it. Run to your Bible. Don't run away from it. Run to community. Don't run away from it. It says he encouraged himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, some of you may be thinking, Mercedes, I mean, I read the Bible and I can't even, I feel like I'm in such a, a dark place. I can't even remember what I read. I've been there. Keep reading anyways. Keep reading anyways. I've had friends, when I was in this, hor- I was about 22, I was going through this horrible time, and I had friends that three or four times a day would call me and say, hey, you okay? Every day, like clockwork, and I knew they were going to call. And that got me through such a horrible, dark time because they helped me see the bigger picture. They helped me encourage myself in the Lord. It says David fastened himself to the Lord. And the second thing is he chose to be recovered. He chose it. The other men, they have the same ability to choose recovery. But their grief turned into bitterness. It says he fastened himself to the Lord. Now think of this. Family's gone. Possession's gone. House gone smoke in the air, and his men are coming at him with stones. That's a horrible day. And it says, David goes, I'm going to be okay. With people coming to stone him, and everything he's known gone, he goes, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Right here, right now, I choose recovery. I choose to be recovered. 
I don't choose bitterness. I choose recovery. John 11 says that Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. In the literal text, this is absolutely incredible. In the literal text, that translate as Jesus saying, I am the stand-up and the recovery. It means that Jesus will bring recovery to your life. And when Jesus is in you, that means that a moment where you've tried to stand and you don't feel like you can, he will stand up on the inside of you and your life will be recovered. says that they chose recovery. Doesn't matter how long you've been down, how long you felt like you're gonna be like this forever, the God inside of you, when you choose recovery, will stand up inside of you and your life will be recovered. He will give you the strength you didn't think was in, was in you. He will give it to you. You will be recovered. You need to tell your friends. You need to tell yourself, I can have and I choose recovery. You can have recovery. Your life can be recovered. It doesn't have to be like this. There's health and cure for you, the Bible says. Number four, once you've listened and become a voice of hope and action, check in and support. Enlarge your world. Enlarge your world. Show up. Call. Text. Meet with them. Take action. Do something. Don't think that a one-time conversation fixed it. Meet with them. Call them. Put in the effort. Check in and support. Give them tools. Give them books. Give them things to listen to. Check in and support. Make your circle bigger and bring more people into it. How we need to make our homes bigger. We need to bring more people into it. We need to help people with the help we've been helped with. We gotta bring more people into our house. Number five, pray with and pray for people. Pray with and pray for people. I don't know why as Christians we're embarrassed to pray with people. Society's not embarrassed about how they act. I was at a Starbucks the, uh, probably about three weeks ago. I was meeting a friend there and she was, talking to me about something real tender that she was going through. And the table next to us, I mean right next to us, were these two men, and they were talking so foul. They were so angry about something. And she's here confiding in me. And I said, hey, could I just pray for you for a moment? And I wasn't weird. I didn't start screaming in the Starbucks. I grabbed her hand, and I prayed for her. And let me tell you, the other table shut up. Because you can bring peace into any room. You can bring peace into someone's life. It's important because the way I live my life brought something for, foreign into these other people. It brought peace. And they had to shut up. They didn't understand what was happening. I'm serious. They were quiet. And I didn't pray loud. It's not like they really knew what was happening. But it brought something foreign into their life. It brought peace. And it made them shut up for a moment. You know, when you pray for someone, it makes the enemy shut up. It cancels out his attacks. It breaks his plan. When you say, hey, I want to pray with you, all of hell will shake. Because help and cure is coming to that person. In that moment, a whole, 
amount of peace came into that room, into a Starbucks. It wasn't a church. And that can happen when you talk with someone. You need to expect that as I pray, God, I'm believing for your peace to flood into their life. For your health, your wealth, your prosperity, every kind of good, God, I'm asking for it to go into their life. Number six, we need to offer relationship. See, we can't abandon people when they open up. This is such a huge deal with people with anxiety. They open up, and the person they opened up to ends up disappearing. Or not checking in. And with someone that's dealing with anxiety, which is a really hard thing to go through. Anybody who's dealt with it can say that. It's a very hard thing to go through. And when you let someone open up to you, and then you don't come back, You've created more of a problem. Now for the next person that wants to help, they're going to have twice as much work to do. We have to make sure that we offer relationship, that we seek it out. Don't wait for them to text you or call you. They won't. You make the initiative. You call. You take them to coffee. Offer relationship. If you think one conversation was enough, It won't be. You need to seek and keep seeking. You need to ask and keep asking. We've got to offer a relationship. We've got to offer a relationship. Moses, he was on this mountaintop, and I'll I'll tell you a little bit of the story. Joshua's down in the valley fighting. Down in the valley fighting. Joshua's down in the valley in a war. And Moses is at the top of the hill. And the Bible says that as long as Moses kept his arms up, that battle was on their side. They were winning. But when his hands got tired and his arms got tired and they began to fall, they started losing. And there were these two people that were with Moses, Aaron and Hur. And you know what they said? Hey, I'm not Moses and I, man, I can't really lead a nation, and I'm not Joshua. I can't really lead an army, but you know what I can do? I can help Moses when he's tired. I can help Moses when he's tired. And they grabbed each arm, and when Moses had no more strength, they lifted it for him. And this is a sign of what the church needs to do for each other, for people dealing with mental health. We need to be on each side of them, lifting their arms up because they're tired. Help them win the battle. Give them strength when they don't have it anymore. Give them encouragement when they don't seem to be able to find any inside of them. Hold up their arms when they're tired. This is what God has called us to do. You know, maybe you'd say, like, I'm not Paul, I'm not Jeremiah, I'm not Ruth, I'm, I don't really know what I can do. You can hold someone's arms up when they're tired. And if you'll look for opportunity, you'll see it. It's all around you. There are people hiding a veil of darkness. And if you'll come into their life, you'll ask the question, you'll listen well, you'll offer relationship. You can hold up their arms until they're strong enough. But we have to be by people's sides. A lot of times we think, we'll just go up and it'll be a one-time fix. And I'm not saying God can't do that. But a lot of times this is a journey people have to walk through to get clear in their mind. 
It's something they need the power of God every day. And a lot of times they're so under darkness that they don't know what to do. They just don't know. And you need to offer help. You need to say, I care. Here's some things. Let me help you. Let me help you find a therapist. Let me take you to the pastor. Come to church with me. We need to offer a relationship. And we need to be like Aaron and her in that moment, lifting up Moses' arms when he was tired. Would you stand with me to your feet today? I know that there are people in this room today. And I know I've talked about how to help someone, but you're like, I'm the someone. Like, I'm there now. I have anxiety all the time. I'm dealing with panic attacks all the time, dealing with depression, dealing with PTSD. And you're telling me how to help someone else, but I don't even, I can't even help myself. And I want to tell you today, there's help and cure for you. That God sees you right now where you stand. That you're not by yourself. You're not all in one. You have people around you that want to help. There's a life beyond this feeling. There's life beyond this moment. There's joy and happiness. We sang that song today, happiness he's restoring. That's so true. That's something that's restored in you. And I want you, if you just feel so bold as to raise all of your hands, everyone in the room, so no one feels by themselves. And just begin for a moment to ask God for what he's promised, for health and cure. For health and cure. I want to pray over you, Father, in the name of Jesus. I pray over every person in here today. Lord, I know there are people in here that either they have immediate family, friends, or maybe it's them or it's in their circle, God, but they're struggling, God, with anxiety, with depression, with with fear. God, I ask right now for you to do what your word said, for peace to fall in this room in the name of Jesus for health, wealth, prosperity, and every kind of good to start flooding into their life. God, I thank you that you're not leaving anyone in here by themselves, but you're offering health and cure. Lord, I thank you for that person in here, for that woman. I don't know who she is, Father, but she's been dealing with anxiety so badly. She can't sleep. She can't go through her day. Lord, she's shaking. I thank you right now that she is healed from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. Complete peace to enter her life right now. Lord, I ask that for our children in our children's ministry, God, that they grow up to know that you bring peace. Let them feel that now, Father. Let them understand that you have healing for them. Lord, give us parents, give us wisdom to know how to spot signs in our children and how to help our children, how to help our youth, how to help our brother and sister. Father, I ask you to step into these lives and bring health and cure, bring peace, bring joy, 
bring good night's sleep, God, bring light back into their life. He says, all ye that are heavy burden, come to me and you will find rest. Lord, give them rest today in the name of Jesus. I declare that over your life today. Rest over you. Rest over you. You can put your hands down, but if you'd keep your heads bowed for a moment, if you have never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, it is, I'm going to say, impossible for you to get through mental illness without him because he's the one that brings health and cure. There's no other person that can give you that. Your creator has peace and health and cure for you. So if you've never accepted him or maybe you felt real far away from him and you're like, I don't know what's going on, but I just need to get close with him. I need to come back. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. I'm gonna ask you to lift your head. And I'm gonna ask you to look directly at me. Open your eyes. I see you. I see you. I see you. I'm so proud of you. All of church, we're gonna pray with you. I'm gonna give you one more moment. If you'd say, Mercedes, that's me. Add me in this prayer. Would you just look up? I see you. God waited for you. Let's all pray this together. Lord Jesus, right now, I believe you died and rose again. I believe you are the Christ. Come live in me. I receive you now. Live big in me, God. In Jesus' name. You guys can open your eyes. Listen, I want to tell you, if you did that today, you made that decision. As you leave, our ushers will have Bibles. Grab one as our gift to you. And if you don't have one of these booklets, grab one. But I know that there are at least three people in the room that are really struggling with this today. And I'm not going to ask you to come up now, but after service, I'm going to stay up here for a little bit. And if you'd be so bold, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to offer support. I'd love to help you walk through it. So if that's you after service, come talk to me. Can we give the Lord a shout of praise today? I've got, I'm going to keep you like five more minutes, and here's why. Our missions team is leaving tomorrow to L.A. They're going to be helping the Dream Center. And we want to send them out with a mantle over their lives, that God's going to do something amazing, not only in them, but in the people they come in contact with. So if you're going to be going, I think there's about six of you, come forward. and We want to pray for you. Look at that, amazing. Wow, wow. So cool. Wow. Wow. Amazing. I love this moment because it is before they realize what God's about to do. I love it. Because when they get back, each of them is gonna have a testimony of something God did in their life and that they were able to help somebody else. We're gonna pray over them today. And I know that this, for those of you who didn't grow up in church, we're gonna anoint them with oil, not because oil's special, 
not because olive oil is like magic juice, okay? But because in the Bible, it signified someone being set apart. And so we're gonna do that today as a, as a, as a signature of what's happening. Dad, will you and mom get that ready? And I'm gonna ask this week, I wanna declare fasting and praying over this group and over our, <laughs> our state for what's happening in our state right now. We wanna declare Monday through Saturday prayer and fasting. So that means fast something that is important to you that you would, you would be doing. Like if it's eating, pray when you would be eating. If it's TV, pray when you would be watching TV, but fast something that's important to you. And pray over these people because you may not be going, but you're a part of it. A lot of you sowed seeds so that they could go. A lot of you decided that you were gonna be their prayer partner. So it is not just them. This is something when you get to heaven, this will be on your record too, that you were a part of this. So we're gonna pray for them. Would you just extend your hands and would you lift your voice with us and pray? Heavenly Father, by the authority that you have given this church, we send out these labors for your kingdom work. We command that all the angels that are available to help them, help them as they go. As they travel, when they're there, and upon their return, but each one is blessed to be a blessing, and they're going to make a difference in people's lives. They're going to speak the right words. They're going to love people who have not been loved. They're going to reach out and be a light in a very dark place. And we declare it in the mighty name of Jesus. Now we pray over each one of their families who stay back. They're going to miss them while they're gone, but they can join them in prayer and feel like they're right there. So for every one of their families, there's going to be a blessing come into their lives this week because their eyes are going to be on you and your purpose, and they're going to be enriched as they go through this week. And we pray for kingdom connections, divine favor here and there so that your kingdom can be enlarged and when they come back they will testify look what the Lord has done and the testimonies will come from these six but also their families look what the Lord has done amen amen I'm going to hold this interestingly over here um, we love you guys fast and pray with us. Next week is week four of Are You Okay? It's going to be great. It's going to be um, the best one yet, we'll see. I believe God's going to do something incredible. But would you give a big round of applause for our missions team? Isn't that incredible? Wow. Wow. Some of you guys didn't know who was going. This is our group. We're so proud. Um, keep a lookout on our social media. They're going to be posting stories while they're there. So if you want to see what's, what they're doing, what's going on, Make sure to check in, all right? We love you. Go pick up your kids. We'll see you next week. And for those people, I'm going to stay up here if you'd like to have me pray with you.
joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We always want to encourage those of you who have a story of how God is working in your life through this ministry to send us an email to amen at libertyofomaha.com. For more information on Liberty Church, visit libertyofomaha.com. Thanks for joining us and have a credible week.